Welcome to the February 2011 edition of Injury Prevention. In these podcasts, we highlight work published in the journal Injury Prevention. I'm Brian Johnston, Editor-in-Chief. Injury Prevention is an international peer-reviewed journal offering the best in science, policy, and public health practice to reduce the burden of injury in all age groups and around the world. With each issue, our editors choose one paper to highlight. This paper is featured in our podcast and is always free online. So if you enjoy what you hear, have a look at our website and download the entire manuscript. You'll find us at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Today we're focusing on the paper, A Controlled Evaluation of the World Health Organization Safe Communities Model Approach to Injury Prevention, Increasing Child Restraint Use in Motor Vehicles, which appears in the February 2011 issue. I'm joined by the lead author on the paper, Dr. Greg Istry, who is an epidemiologist and the medical director of the Injury Prevention Center of Greater Dallas. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Brian. So, Greg, your paper reports results from a rather ambitious evaluation that's focused on the impact of child safety restraint use in motor vehicles. You highlight this as an example of the safe communities model approach to injury prevention. We can talk about the specifics in a minute, but first, could you tell us about the Safe Communities Model? What is it, and what have previous investigators learned about its value? There really are two aspects to explaining safe communities, I think. One one is just the term Safe Community Model, which uh, it implies that the the community itself aspires to safety, in, a, in sort of a structured approach, if you will. It, it does not imply that the community is already perfectly safe. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. But the key components of a safe community, at least in terms of the World Health Organization model, are, are that it listens to the community and lets them define uh, their most important problems. Uh, it coordinates efforts within the community, raises public awareness, garners support, and uh, tries to use creative means to mobilize members of a, of a community. And, but, but there's another aspect to it, and that, that is the, the formal accreditation and recognition process for a WHO-designated safe community, which um, the Injury Prevention Center of Greater Dallas is. And there, there are certain indicators that the community has to um, has to have and act upon, and those include having an infrastructure that's based on partnerships and collaborations, so again, listening to the community. Another aspect is having long-term sustainable programs, ideally that, that would cover all ages and all types of environments, um, all, all the population of a geographic area. Another component is that the programs target high-risk groups, and you know, we have we have many programs here at the Injury Prevention Center that target certain high-risk populations. For example, we have a smoke alarm installation program. And that uh, another component is that the program document the frequency and causes of injuries, basically doing surveillance for injuries, and uh, then evaluate its processes and its measures to assess the programs that it that it does. And, and then a, a final component of this particular model with WHO is that the community has ongoing participation in the in the uh, WHO Safe Communities Network, and so those are kind of the formal accreditation and recognition uh, markers. But the unifying elements, I think, for all this is that it emphasizes collaboration, partnership, capacity building within the community. So, 
to be clear, if applying a safe communities model uh, approach, are you uh, encouraged to intervene at the level of the community, or could you have an, an intervention with individuals that is informed by input from the community more broadly and still consider this part of a safe communities model? Oh, I think it would encompass a wide variety of types of interventions. For example, our smoke alarm insulation program, which goes into individual houses and um, and other programs which are more general awareness um, and education. So I, I think it encompasses uh, uh, the entire spectrum. So why don't you tell us about the intervention that you designed in Dallas? How did the program components um, that you employed line up with a safe communities model? I think it started um, with um, assessing the community to see what sort of key components and collaborations we might be able to accomplish. And, and the, the first step in, in this was really to uh, try to see what the assets of the, of the community were and uh, then try to uh, uh, do some assessment from individuals in the community through focus groups um, to get an idea of what, what the needs might be. I should back up by saying that this program was funded by a grant from the Center for Disease Control, and it was one of their first grants categorized as a dissemination grant. That was the sort of the backbone of the program itself. We knew that we needed to have an intervention that was going to focus on trying to increase child safety seat usage. And so given that fact, we then went into the community to try to assess the community which groups might already be doing things in this regard and uh, how to approach it from, from that point. And, and one of the early things that we did through the focus groups was trying to determine what the community, at least from these focus groups, felt were important problems. And, and also to get a feel for how they thought we could design an intervention that might be able to reach more people. Turns out we had done something similar to this in another part of Dallas about uh, five or six years earlier. And uh, we use a safe communities approach for that as well. So we, we had an idea of what sorts of things might work, and we, we needed to get input from the, this, new, this other community as to whether um, these things might work or whether there might be other things that would, uh, would be important and might not fit. Do you have some? Um, some specific examples of how your programs were changed or shaped by the conversation you had with the community? The, those early conversations helped us um, helped us to design uh, an intervention that included car seat classes sort of as the foundation of what we did that involved an educational component and then an opportunity for people to purchase lower priced car seats. We actually purchased car seats through the grant and then asked people to make a donation of $10 to receive the car seat. We put that $10 into buying more car seats. We were able to get input about what sort of content should be in those classes, about what time of the day might work best, about, what, about locations, and we got a lot of information about which sort of uh, agencies, coalitions, etc that they relied upon or felt were leaders within the community. 
we not only design the classes and the locations and times and things like that uh, based on their input, but also um, uh, got substantial involvement through um, some local advisory committees and community boards, uh, campfire girls and uh, a variety of groups like that who were identified during those focus groups as being important in the community. And we, and, and we were able to work through them as well to try to get the message out and help do these classes, distributions, and, and that sort of thing. Can you uh, maybe tell us at this point about the results? What what did you find, and, and how do you interpret that in, in light of the safe communities model that you were seeking to test? We had decided that we were going to evaluate this program by doing observations of children in vehicles uh, and whether they were restrained and in a child safety seat or a booster seat early in the course of the grant and then at the end of it. So. We did observations of children riding in vehicles at designated locations. And we did these structured observations, which we've been doing for 15 years now. We've actually gotten more than 60,000 of these observations overall. But for this grant, we did a total of about 9,000 observations in the, the first six months of the intervention and then the last six months of the intervention. So they were about two years apart or so. We also did similar uh, observations in a comparison area of Dallas in which there was no intervention. We found that through those observations that there was a significant and fairly substantial increase in child restraint use in those vehicles, child restraint use that was consistent with the state law, which is how we define proper child restraint for the purposes of this study. In the um, intervention community of Southeast Dallas, the adjusted restraint use, and this is adjusted for age, gender, race, type of vehicle, type of location of several different things. The adjusted restraint use went, went up by about 23%, and in the comparison community, adjusted restraint use went up by about 10 or 11%. So we had a difference of about 12 percentage points um, increase that was fairly substantial and statistically significant. It's a fairly uh, fairly impressive result for a community-based intervention. Yeah, we well, we thought so. Unfortunately, the study was not designed to try to tease out which components of this multifaceted intervention uh, were most important. And we, we knew that up front, that we were all we were doing was trying to determine whether this approach, the safe communities approach, which is by nature multifaceted, whether it had an impact or not. I think we did show that there was clearly an impact on this marker of child, proper child restraint use, but we cannot tease out how much the community work played a part versus the classes playing a part uh, versus the provision of a discounted child safety seat, et cetera. I think that's another common challenge in, in community-based work. We're often not able to disaggregate the individual components of a program and have to take it as a whole. I think that's one of the problems that uh, most safe communities deal with in trying to evaluate their impact. We found it's very difficult to really uh, rigorously evaluate the impact of, of a community-based program, That, especially in the safe communities general model 
it deals with all injuries of all types. And, uh, uh, you know, we focused on one particular project here to see whether we made an impact or not. It's much more difficult to do if you've got programs not only on that deal with motor vehicle crash injuries, but also fires, drownings, uh, homicides, suicides, and, and trying to do these things in the community and trying to measure their impact. Very, very difficult to do. And I think that's one of the messages that came out of the most recent Cochrane Collaborative uh, review of safe communities a few years ago. That um, you know there aren't very many controlled evaluations of of these things, and and uh, it's pretty difficult to do those. Well, let me let me ask you from the other side. Um, what's what do you see as the value of, of conducting these interventions in a designated safe community? I mean, I understand there's a safe communities model, which describes an approach to the intervention and its evaluation. But Dallas is also <clears throat> one of the earliest designated safe communities in the United States. And I'm wondering how that impacted your ability to design, conduct, and evaluate these particular interventions. We, we were one of the early accredited safe communities from WHO. But I, I don't think that this type of program necessitates having that designation or accreditation. What it what is more important, I think, is the interaction with the community and you know, listening to the community, building partnerships, collaborations, those sorts of things. And so it doesn't have to be done in a program that's designated as such, but uh, those programs that are designated in that way have been assessed and have the formal infrastructure that assures that they're able to do that. But I, I suppose it would be kind of similar to uh, let's say a, a surgeon can can do an appendectomy whether he's board certified or not, you know, and, and board certification just kind of assesses that, yes, that person has these uh, qualifications, but that doesn't mean that that's the only board certified surgeons can do an appendectomy. But um, and that's that may not be a great example, but it's sort of the same. Greg, what are you? What are the next steps for your team there at the Injury Prevention Center of Greater Dallas? What else are you working on? I mentioned that we've been working for a long time on a smoke alarm installation project, and we're in the process of assessing the impact of that now. And I think we we have several years worth of worth of data. And one of the key components of a safe community is is trying to evaluate what what they do. And and so we we try to evaluate our programs as best we can. We're evaluating that now. We're also involved in uh, programs uh, that look at child deaths. We we manage the child death review team and just embarking on a violent death review team in, the, in a similar process as well. In terms of our involvement in child restraint uh, programs and, and uh, motor vehicle crash uh, injury prevention, we're trying to look at what, what might be a next step here in terms of trying to tease out some of the components of the program of the safe communities like we talked about. That is um, the partnerships and coalitions versus, say, the distribution of child safety seats and, and how much um, the additional distribution of the discounted child safety seat uh, contributes to an increase in, in proper child restraint use. It sounds both uh, ambitious and important. Greg, why don't you tell us something about the Injury Prevention Center of Greater Dallas? How long has it been around and, and how to get started? 
it started in in 1996 as a result of a recognition in the Dallas area that uh, trauma admissions and trauma deaths had increased over the past several years, and, and the projections were if that increase continued that uh, most of the ICU beds in the city would be taken up with trauma uh, victims. And, and so there was an effort that uh, tried to look not only at how to deal with trauma when it came in, but how to prevent trauma. And so the idea of an injury prevention center was born. And, and this center is quite a bit different from others that I'm aware of in that it is it's almost all uh, community-supported and community-funded. And when it was designed initially, the idea was that um, they wanted it to wanted to be sure that it was going to be community-based and community-oriented. And so that's how the the, the safe communities model was first uh, arrived at and, and applied. And it's functioned in that way ever since. And so we were credited by WHO and and uh, have been trying to use that model, at least in terms of the community-based uh, participation and the partnerships, et cetera. I, I, I came from this from an epidemiology background, and I was skeptical at first about, the, uh, about this approach, but I've become a real believer in it. So this was uh, Greg Istry discussing his work reported in the February 2011 issue of Injury Prevention, the paper titled A Controlled Evaluation of the World Health Organization's Safe Communities Model Approach to Injury Prevention, Increasing Child Restraint Use in Motor Vehicles, is this month's editor's choice. It's freely available at the journal's website online. That's all for this edition of our podcast. I'm Brian Johnston, Editor-in-Chief of Injury Prevention. Join us in April for highlights of the next issue.